Welcome to the Seedle Pie Podcast. This is the place where we get to peek into excellence in teaching and learning at Madison College by connecting with and learning from our colleagues. I'm your host, Jessica Fegested. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's Seedle Pie Podcast. My guests today are Allie Barini and Sandy Thistle from the Construction and Remodeling Program here at Madison College. Welcome. Hi. 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 Thanks for coming in today. I really appreciate it. So can you both tell us a little bit about your background and how you became interested in teaching construction or modeling and how long you've been at Madison College? How about you, Sandy? Let's start with you. Well, um, uh, very early in my apprenticeship because I did commercial construction and went through a four-year apprenticeship. Uh, Within the first couple of years, I was roped in by Mary Knight who ran the Tools for Tomorrow program. And so while I was still an apprentice, I was teaching part-time here and teaching women how to use tools and giving them an introduction into the skilled trade. So uh, that started over 30 years ago. Um, And then about 20 years into my personal career, I was feeling the need to do something that was more meaningful then building large new buildings and teaching seemed the appropriate way to go. I did a little bit of that, and it was really um, inspiring and exhilarating. Awesome. Yeah, I, I can relate to the, the not wanting to just, you know, do your thing, but you want to share your, your craft and, and mold the future of it. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to open the door for more people. Yeah, great. Great. How about you, Allie? Well, uh, it's funny because... I actually started in the Tools for Tomorrow program as a student over 30 years ago. and But then I talked my way into a carpentry job, and, and I worked as a carpenter for many years. And it was actually a bit of a, a, bit of a lark that I applied for a teaching position here. Um, Nancy Nicole, who was one of the people involved in the Tools for Tomorrow program, reached out to me when when the previous instructor of like 27 years was retiring. So it's not like these positions come up every, every other minute. And she was like, Oh, you should apply. And I was like, well, okay, sure. Why not? And um, I did. And that was 18 years ago. And that's what I've been doing since. And it's really changed a lot since then. It's been, it's been kind of a cool journey. Awesome. And your program is located at our commercial Avenue campus. Correct. That's right. Which, you know, um, gives you your own own space and also, unfortunately, a little disconnection from the larger part of campus. Yeah, we say. call this the mothership. Yes, from the mothership. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, um, so again, I appreciate your time coming coming in here, and I'm hoping that this will give us some insights into what what you do at that that campus. And so many of us drive past and see some of the things, and hopefully, you'll be able to explain what those little tiny houses and sheds and things are that we see out there. So. Oh, I really appreciate it. So thinking about the industry, like just kind of st- stepping back a little bit, um, you know, the construction or modeling industry, I'm, I'm guessing that there could be some common misconceptions that your students might have coming in or prospective students or the general public might have about um, construction or remodeling. And I'm curious what you find those are and, and what you have to say about them. I still feel like it's pervasive in our culture that people have stereotypical ideas about 
construction worker and who, who construction workers are and what the industry is like. And some of those things are true and some really aren't. Um, traditionally, I've, students who, for example, were in the high school setting who had a hard time being successful in academic settings were often channeled to the building trades and construction trades, which I don't think is necessarily bad. Um, but I think it lends itself to the stereotype that, that the folks who do this work aren't very bright. And that's been the opposite of my experience. I've worked with some really ridiculously brilliant and skillful people. Um, and so breaking away from that stereotype of who does this work and that, and that it's where you send people who can't do other things. Um, and also the barrier the other way is that I've encountered students out in the world who are really smart and love this work, but their parents encourage them to go to a four-year college rather than pursue this avenue. And um, for me, this has been a ridiculously satisfying career and a really great fit and creatively challenged. And, um, and I wish that we didn't think of the skilled trades in the way that we did, that we do, that somehow skilled trades people are less than. Right. Well, and, you know, I, it's funny because I think it's kind of a curse and a blessing that there's an entire cable channel that's dedicated to glorifying construction work um, and remodeling. And we do, on the regular, get a student who's like, well, I watch this on TV all the time, or how hard can it be? And it's like, well, you know, actually, it's a skilled trade. The word skill is, is the involved. Um, but on the other hand, it kind of gives us this regular flow of, of students who see that other people do this on TV and, okay, I want to explore this. Some of them think they're doing it just for, you know, I just want to be able to fix a couple things around my house. And, um, and then we suck them in because they love it. And then they become carpenters and, and we win. Well, and we go into a lot of houses that people have remodeled themselves who really didn't understand the depth and breadth of what we know and we get to fix those things i can understand that i i can relate you might be referring to that little um tv uh network that begins with the h perhaps yeah, mm, yeah. that one that one yeah yeah uh coming from the hgtv in- yes yes coming from the interior design uh field i can definitely relate to your <laughs> your comments about <laughs> about bringing students in sort of being a good thing from from the hgtv effect for sure um and understanding that it's a profession. These are professions. These are skilled professions that that we're training people for. Um, so, so I can I can understand that. Do you have you have you seen a shift at all in you know knowing that there's demand for the, this work that um, there being more of the encouragement from parents and family to to go into the into the skilled skilled trades. I think sometimes. I mean, we do run into some some parents and their their kids who, who say, well, I don't want to take on this four years of college debt. So I think some people see that, uh, that one, this is, our program is one year, is a one-year program and apprenticeship is a pay, you get paid while you learn. That's that's very attractive to, to some people. So I, sometimes the attitudes are shifting, but I think we still hear a lot of people one, complain about how much a plumber costs, and two, I would never want my kid to be a plumber. And it's like, 
Do you know how much plumbers make? (laughs) And and there's been an influx, I think, of returning students who've gone and gotten a four-year degree and are doing something outside of the industry and are dissatisfied or aren't getting paid very well or... And they've always had an interest in what we do, and they take the step in that direction, and they're, they blossom. I mean, we've seen so many, you know, 20 to 30s, 35, even 40 adults who come back, and they're like, wow. Yeah, I mean, I know in my career, I worked with lots of people who had uh, bachelor's degrees, advanced degrees, um, and I just, a student last week asked me, well, you think I should put my master's of fine arts on my resume? I mean, are people going to, like, is that a negative? And I was just like, well, I mean, maybe for some people it's a negative, but do you want to work for that person who, like, looks down on you because you got an education in something and you've now decided to do this other thing? Like, I'd love to have somebody on my crew who hasn't, understands art. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Right, and I think that that in the industry, it's really easy to focus on very specific, stereotypical things that a person needs to be successful. So, for example, I know that everyone back in the day thought this, you have to be a brute, or how could you possibly do this work? And, And there's so much more to what we do in terms of using our brains and our creativity and our communication skills that make us really great construction workers besides being the biggest person in the room. Yeah. It's not not just about lifting heavy things and using heavy tools. Yeah. It's way beyond that. Well, right. Because, and and there is some lifting of heavy things, but how much of your day is spent on that versus other things, other, you know, work that's more creative or the, the communication piece. Or problem solving. Problem solving. Well, and frankly, having to lift really heavy things in a situation where I was by myself, I have to come up with a creative solution. It's not whether or not I can do it because the next person over might not be able to do it. How am I going to do this successfully? That's the question. Absolutely. So one of the things that, you know, our just our college in general is – is known for is, is the hands-on learning. And obviously in construction remodeling, you're not going to just stand up and lecture and uh, never let the students touch a tool or, you know, uh, p- cut a piece of wood or uh, do all the things. So, so tell me about how hands-on learning works in your courses. What kinds of things students work on? You know, what, what does that look like? And, and, and what do students think of it? Uh, well, the hands-on learning starts day one, um, and really by day two or three, they're using a circular saw, which is a, a very serious tool that, that a carpenter needs to have a, a mastery of, and certainly there's hazards involved in that, and, and we're, we're teaching them the safe use of those tools um, and the respect for those tools, but that this is, this is how the work gets done. Um, and then we really were very focused on tying the stuff that we're teaching in the classroom through lecture or demonstration to what the students work on. And, and that's why the students build um, a shed um, and then they kind of advance to a house that they work on on campus and we do some remodeling projects. So everything is, is very reality 
base, they, they, take a, they can take a commercial construction class and, and learn some a really kind of different set of skills. So we're trying to give them a pretty broad sense of what the different types of work are, are that are available. And also um, they're going to they're gonna get to do all the things. And we've spent a lot of time trying to like figure out like, okay, so what if they do this thing and it doesn't work out? How do we mitigate the costs and, and you know, issues around that? And that's why they kind of advance through more and more difficult projects. The shed is a bit easier than a house, is frankly a little bit easier than remodeling. Um, so that's how we, we do it. And I, I guess I can't really see any other way of teaching this. Well, and I want to add that I feel like <clears throat> we've evolved as a program pretty significantly from, you know, we... I think there's a tendency to teach how we've learned, right? And uh, that's often in a classroom. And so that's familiar. And we would evaluate our students pretty significantly in a book smart kind of a way. So traditional exams. And we've grown a long way in terms of reevaluating our assessments and having them be at least 50% hands-on assessment. Here's the thing. We, we don't just want to know that you know everything about drywall. We want to be able to see that you can install it correctly. Um, and, and some of this was inspired by uh, our book group, um, Grading for Equity. So it's, it's hard to sort of separate what came from some of that work and what has been evolving, but just doing shorter, smaller chunks of assessment more regularly than having a midterm and a final. Um, right, and I think one of the reasons that, that part of the evolution was, quite frankly, there were people who could take a test, they could earn a diploma, and we could we would say, wow, I wouldn't really want them to be my carpenter in my house. And so what is that? That seems like that's a failure of the system somehow. Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah. the structure, the kind of the, the inherent structure of the course was sort of not really assessing what you hope to assess. Right. And that's not uncommon. That's, I mean, across all the college. Sometimes we take a step back and we go, whoa, wait a minute. That's not, that's not exactly what we wanted to be assessing. Yeah, it was kind of jarring because – it, like it didn't feel like, yeah, we weren't testing the right thing, and and at the same time there was there were people who could just they could do the work, but maybe the reading skills weren't very strong, and so a test was just a complete disaster, and so what that's a failure, you know, and then yeah, just we really wanted that alignment with what does it look like to be successful in our class to align to what it would be to be successful in this industry doing this work. And I, I remember there being a very clear moment where there was a student that I really thought had no business being in the industry in terms of spending all that time and effort and really not being able to perform, who came out of the program with an A or a B, and I'm like, this isn't working, mm -hmm. if that can be true. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That, I mean, that really, it, it, can, it can happen, I think, feel like we've all had those gut check moments where we go what did we what did we just do there you know how does that how is that working and why is that not working so kudos to all of you to uh, to 
internally assess that and recalibrate and try to try to make some improvements. We've also um, built in more reiteration in terms of the skills that they do. So so often our mode is do a little lecture, do a demonstration, have the students do the thing, um, and then later evaluate them. And so some of the things like bending metal, they'll actually get an opportunity to do it at m multiple times as they're learning it so that when they get the assessment, maybe they're getting assessed on one kind of bending and then later it's more evolved bending, uh, but they're doing the thing on a pretty regular basis and every time they do it, they learn something from it. Not just a one and done. Exactly. Right, and, and one thing that I think we've been doing a little bit more, we're still a little experimenting with it, is having students assess their own work. So do the thing okay, here's what I would be grading you on. What do you think? How did you think you did? And I think that's, one, it's fascinating. Um, <laughs> it's uh, most students are harder on themselves than I think I would be, but that's not always the case. And it's always a little surprising. Well, I'm going to say it's surprising. It's not surprising to me, but the ones who, who are way easier than, on themselves, I'm just always a little curious. Where does that come from? Because I know that I, I, I certainly personally am really pretty hard on myself and I never feel like I quite measure up. And, and so I just, I'm like, I find people who really see greatness where mediocrity exists are fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. We could go off in so many directions and talk about that, but I think we'll just leave that one right there. But okay, that, that, that is, no, but that is very interesting. And, and, you know, and again, in the, in the field, it's probably not always going to be their supervisor hanging out right there, looking over their shoulder. They need to be able to look at that and say, is that job done right? Exactly. And, and to understand that, like, if it's not right, you kind of have to fix it out in the field. Like, you can't just be like, well, that didn't work out. I guess I'll, you know. <laughs> that two-by-four is in the wrong place, but oh well. Payday's still Friday. Yeah, no, you, you don't know, want and that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it is a more realistic way of assessing the students. One, by the hands-on work. The opportunity to redo it because, like you say, if it's not done right, it's probably going to have to get redone anyways. And then... Let's have you look at it and you tell me what's right and what's wrong or what could be better because that's the real, that's truly the real world. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I often do this, that type of evaluation or assessment in conversation. And then they, they can talk about like, oh yeah, things went south here on step number two. And then I could never recover. And so by step 10, things were just, it, it was just off the rails. And I was like, yeah, it's really hard. And I, you know, and I, I personally relate to that. I struggle with like, oh, that step didn't go well. I need to go back and do that again. I, I mean, I, that's a that's for me a personal struggle with my work, and and I think you know it's good to know that you you have that struggle. Like, oh, I just moved on, and I needed to stop. Well, and it makes me think back to the beginning when I started this. I I was very hard on myself, and I would see more skilled people, and I would think that they didn't make any mistakes. And then the, the whole coming all the way back around and going, oh, no, they make mistakes, but they don't walk away until it's fixed. Um, and that that's what makes a great carpenter. It's not that they're making less, well, they probably are making less mistakes than I was, but, you know, it's not that they didn't have faults. Mm -hmm. They solved them before they moved on. 
They've, they've learned from them, so they learned not to do them again. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. And, and Over time. And things like the endless balance of figuring out what is good enough. Because they don't have a breadth of experience to base that question on. And so is this good enough or am I focusing in on this thing and spending way too much time and I need to move on? And I feel like that's a really important area that we guide them on. This is how long this should take. This particular thing, it's time to move on. Sure, sure. Yeah, time is money. So you can't just spend an infinite amount of time on something to, to perfect it either. So that's a good skill as well. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, I, I, I think um, I think those are some some awesome changes to the program, and I think it'll be interesting to hear in a couple of years where you're at with that, if if that's even been tweaked some more. Because I would imagine you two will continue to to keep tweaking that. Um, I'm curious, you know, thinking back over your careers here at the college, um, you know, being being in the in a program, I'm, I'm imagining there's probably a memorable project or experience that you've had um, in your time teaching here, and wondering if one or both of you would like to share that. Um, one of the things that I think about is um, trying to trying to figure out how to open the doors wider. And one of the ideas I've had for a long time was to have a, a girls' camp. And uh, about five or six years ago, the Girl Scouts. Um, Badgerland Council approached me and said, will you collaborate on this Girl Scout camp? So we have Camp Build. It's gone off for five years, I think. And um, I have an example. There was a student who started in middle school. And the first time I delivered camp, those middle school girls blew my mind with their ability to use serious power tools like a circular saw. They paid attention. They supported each other. They didn't act before they had all the information they needed, uh, very safety conscious, like all of the things were really amazing. And there was a young woman um, named Stella in that first camp, and she has continued and come back every year, and now she's a high school age student. And she applied to the um, STEM program here at the college for high school students. And uh, has been doing that this year, and she said if it hadn't been for Camp Build, I never would have considered the STEM program. And um, even more personally, she's come and worked on my house a little bit. So uh, I don't know. For me, that's that's what it's about is opening the door for people who maybe wouldn't consider it and would love it. That's fantastic. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that advertised the camp build. So I'm glad that you that you shared that for sure. Um, and if you have information about it, we can include it in the show notes for for folks to take a look at too. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm thinking of um, a few years ago. We had uh, we we had made some changes. We we started offering some programming in the evenings, with the thought that that would um, that would bring in a, a sort of a different population of students. Um, we started doing a, a, a bridge that we collaborated with the School of Academic Advancement. So they provided a couple weeks of support classes. And this is really directed at people who maybe have been away from the school environment for a while, um, might be a little intimidated, might not really know how to student um, in this environment. And, uh, and then there was some recruiting involved. And that re- the, the person doing the recruiting, Kevin Foley, he just, he went everywhere. He went to Centro Hispano. He went to mosques. He went, he just, he went everywhere. Um, and he just 
brought together this cohort, um, and we we call our cohorts. We use ABCD, but we all have names for them. Uh, long story, <laughs> but this cohort was called the Charlie Dogs, and that cohort of fifteen students stayed together the whole way. There were they were representing five countries, um, men, women. Um, it was just it was they were such a diverse group and they were just super bonded. And anytime somebody started to kind of flag, they were like, you are signing up for classes next semester. And this is how it's going to happen. Um, and we'd only ever intended to offer 10, uh, six or maybe 16 credits in evening classes. And this cohort was just, they were relentless. They're like, you have to offer the whole program. What this is unfair. You can't not offer the whole program. We were like, okay, whoa, this is really you're kind of intense. Um, <laughs> and so we did. And so I think it was 14 out of 15 of them graduated with the entire diploma, and they did it all at night. And um, and it just, it really, it felt like such a, a proof of concept of classes in the evening are are so important to, to people who are Many of them were already working in the industry, but they they wanted a they wanted some documentation of their skill set. They wanted to take the program so that they could finish a college degree, um, and they were just wildly successful. And I, you know, we always we're constantly talking about them. I was just just working on some schedules, and I was like, "Can we call them Charlies again? I don't know if we can still use that name. I feel like we have to retire the name." <laughs> <laughs> like a jersey that needs to be exactly, retired. Exactly, because they were just such a fantastic group. And I'm, I'm in communication with, with many of them to this day, and they, they're still tight with each other. Some of them work for each other. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing. And they've gone off in all sorts of different directions with what they learned from us. And I, I, I feel like part of it is that they're all working adults that wanted to gain these skills enough that they were committed. So I think by default... Um, the cohort was made up of pretty committed people that sometimes in our day classes, um, there's a certain number of young folks who don't really know what they want to do, but there's pressure to do something. And so they just pick randomly and they're not, they're not really sure they're in the right spot. And maybe, and some of them come around and they figure out that they are. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's the best feeling when you can see the students just bond with each other and help each other, and like you say, help them help each other not quit. You're not you're not going to quit this. You're going to keep going. That's great. And advocate for their for their classes. Um, yes, demand demand, demand classes. <laughs> beyond advocate. <laughs> um, well, Allie, you mentioned so you mentioned um, a diverse group. So, you know, um, construction remodeling, in my mind, I'm guessing is traditionally a white male dominated uh, profession. And, um, you know, like many careers, we're trying to broaden, you know, that that accessibility to our, our trades, our programs, our, all of our degrees to, you know, many populations. And I'm curious what that looks like for for you in the construction or modeling programs and what challenge what challenges you have and successes you've seen. Well, I mean, first of all, I think the fact is that right now there's just a, a huge uh, skilled worker shortage. So the industry needs workers. 
our community, meanwhile, is becoming more diverse. And so there's no way that industry can stay white and male and fill the available amount of positions. Like the math does not work. And so I, I do think a lot of the industry partners have, they've found some religion on, on, on diversity because they understand the math isn't working. Now, the other, the other piece, the next step beyond finding religion on that sort of upper 30,000-foot level of your, of your company that we need to have a more diverse workforce is it's got to not be a bad experience to be somebody who is not a white man to work at that company. And I think that's still a work in progress. But there are several companies in Madison that I think are really or in the area that are, that are doing the work that are, they're just changing, they're just changing what their workforce looks like and it is improving the experience for everybody, including, I would argue, it is increasing their um, attractiveness to clients. Oh, wow, you mean there, a woman's going to come and work on my place? Yeah, that sounds cool. Oh, you have a worker who speaks Spanish? Thank you. Yeah, it's huge. Definitely. Anything to add, Sandy, on that? So, you know, I think, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's great to hear that, that you're starting to see, see some of that, um, that embracing of that philosophy, that the religion of the idea um, out, out in the field. I think it's, um, you know, something that, that we're working on, as you said, like you're working through the grading for equity, which is part of the part of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and lots of, you know, lots of other things. And I, you know, I'm curious too, if there's, um, you know, other, um, you mentioned the camp build. I don't know if anything else comes to mind that is project or initiative wise that, that would kind of promote either your program or promote the diversity, equity, inclusion. So one of the other things that we've developed over maybe the last 10 years is a, it came out of the idea of a gatekeeper course that some of the programs have. So if we have folks who apply to the program and get accepted and then they, they leave, decide it's not for them in the first few weeks, we can't backfill those spots. And so we worked really closely with our academic advisors um, coming up with a course that we start the semester with that's focused on group building, them getting to know us as their instructors, exploring somewhat, is this the right thing for them, um, and accessing a lot of the resources at the college. So, so really a good couple weeks where we're trying to give them everything they need to be successful. Um, and, and improve retention. And I, I, I only have anecdotally, um, but I feel like that focus on community building has been really good for everyone in our program. Right. And, and I think the fact that our fall semester classes are really stacked up. So, so you start out as a student with um, three credits that go for the first three weeks of, of school. And... Um, and if it's not your thing, you're you're in for three credits, but you can you can bail without a huge tuition bill. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just a bit more humane, quite honestly, to to students who are taking on a pretty big risk, uh, seeking in 
uh, an education in, in, in a trade. Uh, so that's that's one thing. Uh, I also feel like they they see that we are invested as a program in their success in a way that that's clearer than before we ever offered that class. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that that I'm I'm really happy we did some years ago uh, was we 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 built in some embedded diplomas into our full one-year diploma. So there's a six-credit diploma. There's a 16-credit uh, diploma, but that includes the, the first six credits. And I think it just one, it creates a sort of more approachable bite for somebody who might not have the either the financial resources or the time to take on the entire program, uh, which is 33 credits. And, but there's... But if you earn the six or the ten, the sixteen credit uh, embedded diploma, and you decide to take the rest of the classes, cool. And that, I mean, that does work out quite, quite a bit. But I think the approachability of that smaller diploma has been pretty huge. And and we really tried to look at our our thirty three credit diploma and say, okay, what is a set of skills that would make you safe to be on a job site? Okay, and then what is a set of skills? where you'd probably be a pretty okay second carpenter, helper carpenter type person. And then finally, our whole diploma is pretty broad uh, and probably not, most people in their career will not use everything that they learn in that 33 credits, but it's a, it's a broad view of the entire industry. Yeah, so. and it, rec- it recognizes that there are a fair number of our students who go through the program and they don't go on to become carpenters, maybe they become designers or inspectors or project managers, and that all of that is serving the industry. Yeah, well, those are both great models for lots of areas around the college, that that kind of embedded course of the kind of community building orientation, uh, you know, to the industry, to the program, getting the cohort together and introducing them to the faculty right in the beginning, building that um, cohesiveness, and then also this chunking, chunking of the of the degree, so that yeah, like you say, more accessible. Make it, give me some, give me some smaller milestones to hit. Make me feel, you know, get an achievement, and then maybe add another achievement onto that. Absolutely, and and the fact is that I don't, I don't think anybody comes into the program is like, well, I'm, I'm, you know, gonna wash out. Looking forward to that, right? You know, and they want no. walk away with nothing. Um, the the those embedded diplomas include like a set of classes that that generally when people are sort of trying to figure this out are there's other classes that we'd want them to take and um, so so even people who don't do the one year diploma they don't walk away empty handed and one one of the uh, one of the things that we've done with the nail it in particular is we haven't yet talked much about the isolation of being at Commercial Avenue, but being at Commercial Avenue Building B, when you joked when I came in about like, oh, not recognizing faces, I see people once, maybe twice a year. Absolutely. And um, really needing to emphasize to the students the resources that were accessible to them and how to get them because they aren't easily accessed at Commercial Avenue. And so um, getting them here to this campus and getting them to those offices feels like a big step toward increasing the likelihood that they would use the resources here at the Truex campus that we don't have at Commercial Avenue. 
Yeah. So connecting them to those things. So it's a, it's a, it's a stopgap uh, from what, what you're, but you know, I'm glad that I'm glad that you can make those connections for them that maybe weren't there before until such a time when there can be some other situation for you. Cause yeah, definitely students, I mean, Students barely wanted to walk from the third floor in interior design down to advising. I can't imagine the challenges you have to go all the way from, seriously, from ComAv to, to here. So, so you know, and that's In particular, great. whenever students were having mental health challenges. Absolutely. I think that that was the most emergent, like, here's a student who needs help now, and we, we want to be able to walk them yeah. to someone who can help them and trying to figure out how to make that happen in our situation. Right. I mean, it's it's meant we've, as faculty, we've become pretty big service providers to Mm -hmm. our students. We're the, we're often the ones that are trying to make that connection or make that appointment or or try to do the things. um, But, you know, on the other hand, while I don't, well, I don't think it's, that's exactly should be our role as faculty. Um, our students tend to trust us. We're the faces that they know. Mm-hmm. So, so it's good that we do it for them. Mm-hmm. We appreciate it, and they appreciate it, I'm sure. That's, that's without a doubt. And, you know, if it gets them through some of those trying times and keeps them on their path that they want to be in your, in your program and in your industry, then, you know, how satisfying is that to see them, you know, those, those students that have had those challenges walk across that stage at graduation and, see them out in the field later on. I, I, I know well how that feels, and it, it, it makes those challenging days <laughs> worthwhile for sure. So, you know, our time together is, is getting close to the end here, and I'm curious if, you know, thinking, um, thinking I guess, about those students that you've had, is there any student that stands out as far as, you know, a success story or student story that you'd want to share or, or alumni story? Sure. Uh, we we do a, an, a a cohort of students from that are incarcerated, so they're they're in corrections, and they come to the to the campus. Uh, they earn their sixteen credit carpentry techniques diploma. Uh, some of them will continue to be incarcerated after they're done for. It can range, but it can be a few months to a few years, actually, after, they're, after they complete the pro- program. And um, in our first DOC cohort, there was a, a gentleman, and he, he, was, he was a great student, and he was very focused, and he was like, I want to work for Findar. I'm like, okay, cool. And he was able to, uh, when, after he earned his... Uh, diploma with us. He went and actually worked at Findorf while he was still incarcerated. Uh, and then once he was released, and this is this was a little bit unique to his case because he was from a, he was a Madison person, and so he was released into Madison, and that is a challenge related to corrections that you're released to wherever you were you were apprehended, I guess. Mm. Um, so he was able to stay at Findorf after his release, and um, I had. Uh, he invited me to breakfast uh, a few weeks ago, and he's like, well, I'm paying. And I was like, okay, okay whatever. Um, and he's like, I'm making six figures. And I was like, he's a, he's a project engineer or something like that. I can't remember what the title was exactly. And he's just 
he's just crushing it on every every level and he's he's really focused on on giving back to the community and he just I I think he's his focus on putting his incarceration behind him and making his life better, his family's life better and also he's just super into volunteer work and and just community building and he's it's I mean kind of chokes me up actually just thinking about him. Yes, a role model. Yeah, he's a role model. Absolutely. How how inspiring and just amazing for you to have that experience and see that student come through that that whole experience. Yeah, I mean, and, and like it's just the greatest to have somebody have him. He he stopped by after he was released. Obviously, he couldn't stop by while he was incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Uh, stopped by after he was released, and he was just like, you guys made all the difference. And it was you know, and then we could exchange phone numbers and yeah. all that so we can stay in touch. And I, I do think that he is an exceptional alumnus. Um, I also want to say that we have binders full of, no, <laughs> we have handfuls and handfuls of students who've gone through the program and taken it in different directions and achieved success. And what do I mean by success? They're getting paid living wage. They like their work. They're good at their work. Um, They stay connected to us. They're trying to give back in the community. Like, I, I, I sometimes forget, because I've been here about 13 years, how many people we've impacted over that time who are out there in the industry working and producing and, and being good coworkers. And, um, yeah, our, our students have done amazing things. We've had some go off to uh, Antarctica. We have a piano builder, um, project managers. We have a, a, a woman that I am friends with who's just shooting right up her company. They're so grateful to have her, and part of, part of it is her communication right mm-hmm. um just and and those stories happen everywhere plus we've recently had a number from a number of years a number of women start connecting and they've um named their group the tradies so the trade ladies are the tradies <laughs> and they meet on a regular basic basis and are developing a network of um mostly residential carpenters women in construction um, supporting and connecting and complaining and doing all the things that help them be successful. That's excellent. And clearly that community, you know, I don't think that that community and that success would be out there if, if there wasn't a good foundation in your, honestly, in your program. And that's what I, that's what I see. That's what I'm hearing. I think the reputation is out there, but it's, it's great to be able to highlight it today to be able to talk to, to both of you looking ahead. Um, any, any thoughts on, on the future of construction remodeling at, at Madison college? Well, I think we'd like to, I'd like to circle back to doing, uh, offering more evening programming, uh, the bridge programming uh, was grant funded and that ran out and, and we're trying to get that going again. And I think, um, frankly, the, all the faculty uh, in the program right now, the full-time faculty are all over 50 years old. So we know that we are not going to be here forever. Uh, and what we'd like, I think, 
we we agree as a group that what we'd like is as we leave to to help foster um, a faculty group that is that is diverse and probably most of them will have you know graduated from the program and um, so we that's what we're working on is really trying to to foster some of those uh, they're right now they're part time faculty but foster those relationships in hopes that um, the program will just keep becoming more diverse and more accessible to to everybody in our community who wants a decent working living wage job yeah. career yeah absolutely that succession planning and that forward thinking is is excellent to be doing because not I don't think everybody thinks that way so you know it's a really important part of sustaining a healthy program and a healthy industry and looking forward like I that th- I think that all four of the full-time faculty are incredibly committed to the success of this program and the success of our students and that passion is a lot of what comes through and trying to bring new people in who will carry that on um yeah yeah that's i think they'll have big shoes to fill so hopefully they're not too intimidated by all of your shoes by by and i I hope that they they reimagine it into whatever the next thing is because the construction industry is changing as well and so i i hope they take the program and 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 turn it into whatever it needs to be to serve people into the future. Well, and I do think that one of the motivators for all of us, maybe I've said this, is, is we, we are always, always assessing how do we make this better? What are some creative ways to make it better? What's working? What's not working? Um, and I think all of that's led us to where we are now. And I feel like, I, I do feel like we're crushing it to some degree. <laughs> crushing it. You need shirts that say that. Construction or remodeling, crushing it. <laughs> That'd be something else. Building it and crushing it. I don't know. Something like that. Uh, Sometimes you have to tear it down to rebuild it. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, that's that's absolutely true. Well, um, before I let you you both go, this is the Cedal Pie Podcast. So I am asking every person that comes on the podcast what their type what their favorite kind of pie is and and why so i'm curious if you if you both have a favorite kind of pie and uh let's let's start with you sandy um i love lemon meringue pie especially if it's on the tart side if it's too sweet that doesn't work and i love banana cream pie and i can't eat either one anymore <laughs> oh man <laughs> Uh, well, then, you know, that just makes it all the more tempting, doesn't it? But I've, I've, I've figured out how to make some really fantastic chocolate pudding out of tofu. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, <laughs> chocolate pudding out of... That'll be, that'll be a recipe exchange we'll have to do after the, after the recording's done. Uh, <laughs> or, not, or not. Yeah. <laughs> how about you, Allie? Well, I have to admit, I'm a bit more of a cake person. Okay, that's fair. You know, I... I don't have a good acronym for for cake. I have peeked into excellence seedle pie, but I don't have a cake one. <laughs> yeah. So, and I don't know if cheesecake falls in there, but I do like a nice cheesecake. Um, a key lime pie is 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 good. I mean, don't get me wrong. Just because I prefer cake doesn't mean I won't eat pie. <laughs> I will. Well, um, I, well, I appreciate I appreciate that. Yeah, I um, 
Uh, key lime, that's a that's a good one. That's oh. a good stand. That's a good fallback pie, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you ha- if you're forced to eat pie, right. right? Oh wait, wait. My favorite pie is three point one four one five nine. Oh my goodness. Math jokes. Oh, well. Thank you both again. I, I really appreciate your time and your insights into your program. And um, I wish you and your students the the best of luck with with all the the um, future endeavors. And um, keep driving by and and looking at those sheds and tiny houses and admiring them from from afar. So keep us keep us posted. All right. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, Jessica. You're welcome. Have a good one. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Cedal Pie Podcast. Please spread the word about this podcast and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you have topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes or other feedback, connect with me by email at cetl at madisoncollege.edu. I look forward to you joining us next time to peek into excellence with Cedal.